0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Mark Roberts is a real estate mogul with more than $1 billion in assets across his portfolio. He is also the co-owner of Eleven, the world's most profitable nightclub per square foot. In this conversation, we discuss building a real estate empire, creating the world's most profitable nightclub, Bitcoin, selling a penthouse for $22 million in crypto, in building the 11 brand globally. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mark, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Circle. Circle is a global financial technology firm that enables businesses of all sizes to harness the power of stablecoins and public blockchains for payments, commerce, and financial applications worldwide. Circle is also a principal developer of USD Coin, USDC which is the fastest-growing, regulated, fully-reserved dollar stablecoin in the world, now standing at more than $15 billion market cap and adding nearly $300 million of net new digital dollars in circulation every week. The free Circle account and suite of platform API services bridge the gap between traditional payments and crypto for trading, DeFi, and NFT marketplaces. You can learn more today at Circle.com. Again, go to circle.com. They're the fastest growing regulated dollar stable coin. They've captured the attention of financial institutions and corporations alike. Go to circle.com to learn more and see why you should be using USDC. Next up is my friends over at Exodus. Exodus is leading the world out of the traditional financial system by building beautiful and user-friendly blockchain products. With its focus on design and user experience, Exodus has become one of the most popular and loved cryptocurrency apps. It's supported on both desktop and mobile, allowing you to sync your wallet across multiple devices so you can have access to your funds anywhere. You can instantly exchange around 100 different cryptocurrencies straight from your portfolio's performance over time. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with the Treasure Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. You can visit Exodus.com slash Pomp for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or the Play Store. Again, Exodus.com slash Pomp for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or the Play Store. All right, let's get into this episode with Mark. I hope you enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I'm here with a legend, absolute legend of uh, South Florida, really the whole world, but what's going on, man? How are you, Mark? Everything's great. Thanks a lot for having me. (laughs) All right. Uh, You are one of the owners of the highest grossing club per square foot in the world with 11, which is a club here in Miami. You guys started to take Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as payment.
1: Why'd you do that? Well, we did it uh, really because we, pride ourselves of be the forefront and pioneers in all aspects of business. And the momentum for cryptocurrencies has been incredible, especially in the last uh, six to eight months. And when the cryptocurrency conference was coming to Miami, it really lit a light bulb in our heads. And we said, uh, you know what, we better be at the forefront of this because somebody's going to do it. it. Might as well be us. And you know, we're the most well-known club in the world. And with everybody coming to town, it was just seemed like a a idea that you had to do. (laughs) So uh, when you announced it,
0: I think at first you were like, oh, you know, it's just like kind of a uh, a nonsense move. They're just announcing it. They're not gonna actually accept it or people aren't gonna really pay. But people have been paying
1: in Bitcoin, right? Well, you know, the funny thing is, you you don't just say I'm taking crypto and all of a sudden you start processing it. It took a, 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 a lot of complexities to figure it out. And our guys that worked for us were incredible at it. And we figured it out. We threw trial and error. We tried a few different processing uh, uh, people. And before the conference, we hit bingo. We, we, we really had a seamless uh, a team that just processes stuff uh, without any errors. You know, a lot of other people tried in Miami. And every I think we were the only ones who even accepted it. Because once people saw us, we were accepting it. Everybody in the world tried to accept it, but they were uh, not able to uh, execute on it. And we executed on it to perfection. And we took a lot of Bitcoin. It was great. It was, uh, it, was, it was a very smart move and a very profitable move and a wise move and uh, everything that comes with it. And uh, we were proud to be the first ones. And we're also uh, planning on staying with it and leading the forefront because we're very big believers in Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies. So I know that you,
0: hopefully this isn't sharing too much. I know that you own some Bitcoin, right? You're very interested in this space. Uh, the club's now accepting it and uh, people have already paid but they're not just paying like $20 for a drink, right? I mean, these are people who are buying tables, they're uh, taking out cash, like they're, they're doing a whole bunch of different things with it, and that's where really you guys have processed a lot of the Bitcoin transactions.
1: Yeah, people are, you know, our tables are a place from 5,000 to 50,000 a table, some are 75, 100, depending on the night, and uh, the big boys are paying in Bitcoin. I mean, they've been coming, coming hard. <laughs> it's been very profitable, and I'm re- I'm really glad because I have to say that uh, you know, you said that I own Bitcoin. I own a lot of Bitcoin because of you, in particular. You know, and you helped me believe in it. And it's kind of contagious because people see I believe in it, and people see you believe in it. And now in Miami, everybody's moving down here in the crypto world. So Miami's becoming like the crypto capital of the world. And I'm just really glad to be learning and meeting people and get involved. I really believe it's the embryonic stages. And I think it's gonna be a significant part of our business going forward.
0: Yeah, I uh, I tend to agree. Uh, there's a second part of uh, of what you do. So I think most people know of uh, Eleven, Gold Rush, and, and kind of the clubs, because that's a, a kind of a forward-facing big thing. But really, your entire business uh, historically has been from real estate, right? Like you're, you've developed real estate, you've bought real estate. Maybe
1: walk us through just kind of your career, and how do you get to this point? Well, it all began when I was in college. <laughs> uh, uh, I went to American University, I played Division One college basketball. My basketball coach was Gary Williams, who coached Maryland to the national title, I think in 2002 or 2003. And What I position did, did you play? I was a guard, I was, uh, we, had a, we had a really good team, Division One. we were one of the top 20 teams in the country, actually. We wow. had a really good team. And I had these aspirations of being a pro, and they were very quickly uh, dimmed <laughs> uh, when, I, when I started playing college. I mean, I, I had a very good first year, and then uh, we had a teammate of mine, Russell Boo Bowers, who's the leading scorer in the entire country. And about midway through the, uh, the season, uh, Bo came to practice very lethargic. And Gary Williams, who was a complete maniac coach, I mean, he didn't put up with anything. He said, Bo, uh, you're very lethargic, what's going on? He said, coach, these agents, I get up in the morning, they're knocking on my door. I go to bed, they're knocking on my door. In the middle of the night, they're knocking on my door. I can't get I can't even get rid of them. I, I can't sleep. So the next agent that came on the campus got arrested. <laughs> I mean, literally arrested. And he, he and, and he was not out of jail for like four to five days. So the word got out, don't go near American University campus. go near Boo Bowers, you're, you're going to jail. So me, the enterprising uh, young man I was, I see, I wanna I wanna be his agent. So I started giving him my per diem money, I started hanging out with him, I started becoming his best friend, and lo and behold, he made me his agent. All right, so hold on a second. You're his teammate, but you realize that
0: all these agents all want to be his agent, and because they think he's going to be highly selected in the NBA draft, all this stuff, and you're like, well, why would we let them be the agent? Why don't I just be your agent? Yes,
1: exactly, (laughs) exactly. So I became his agent, but there's only one problem. As a kid, I could barely like read. You know, I know, kind know what a contract was, so I, I had a camp counselor from when I was 12 years old. I remember he became a lawyer, so I dialed him up, and I said, his name was Roy Greenman. I said, listen, Roy, I got an athlete. I go, I want to sign him. You want to be my partner? And he goes, who is it? I said, Russell Boo Bowers. Now, Boo Bowers is a big name back then. This is going back 40 years ago. He said, you have Boo Bowers? I said, yeah, I've got Boo Bowers. You want to, I go, I just to sign him. I go, so he said, okay, let's partner up. So I signed him, we became partners, I started signing other athletes. And all of a sudden I said, okay, I'm not going to be a pro, I know this. And if I stay in the school any longer back then, there was all kinds of stuff going on in college. Learning wasn't one of them. So I, I said, I better get out of here. So I left college after three semesters and I started my sports business.
0: All right. And so when you signed him and then you start going to other athletes,
1: what's your pitch to them? Oh, my pitch was, my pitch of them was... Uh, you know, these guys are going to be home with their wives and kids. I'm going to be out there working for you. I go, no, going to outwork me. You know, that's still my pitch today, by the way, even though I have a wife and kids, but nobody outworks me. I, I told them I'm going to outwork them. I'm going to, I am gonna. I said, I'm going to find the best people for you. I said, nobody's going to get you a bigger contract. Nobody's going to find you more endorsements. And you know, I was just like a ball of energy. I mean, you know me now how I am. You can imagine and, me when I was 19. Oh, they loved it. I signed a lot of guys up. So I started signing guys up, and I built a – very substantial uh, sports entertainment business. Uh, matter of fact, I was the first one to take a uh, sports management company public on the national NASDAQ. So, how long into the lifetime of the company is it before you take it public? Well, I started signing guys up. Uh, the first thing I did was get into uh, signing up guys, and I was about 19. I got a call from the local PAL representative, and he said to me, because there was a big article about me in my local paper. All these guys, I'm an agent, all this stuff. So this guy called me off that article and says, uh, he's called me Mr. Roberts. This guys, like the head of the PAL. Like a 19-year-old kid. He goes, Mr. Roberts, uh, just read about you. How do you like to represent some fighters? I said, you know, at that point, I would represent like a snail. You know, I'd <laughs> represent anything. So I said, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, What do you need me to do? He says, meet me at the gym. He give me an address in Plainfield, New Jersey. He goes, we have three state champions, and a couple more are national champions. When you, you know, come manage them. I said, okay, let me go look at them. So I went down to a sweaty gym in Plainfield, New Jersey. There's these animals working out like a So I, I go, which are the three best here? He goes, they're right over there. He says, there's National Champ, National Champ, National Champ. So okay, I'll take all three. He said, okay. We, we And he brought the trainer over. He goes, listen, here's the way it works. You got to put the trainer on a salary. You got to give the guys a little money each week. You got to get them fights and uh, you'll build them up. I didn't know anything about boxing. So I said, okay, I'll take them. So I went, I said, okay, well, where am I get the money for all this? I was a 19-year-old kid. So I go to my lawyer partner that was an agent. And I said, how, how do, he goes, well, there's a thing called a limited partnership. I said, I need about 60 grand with all this stuff to take me to like at least a year and a half before I start making these guys some money, I guess. He said, well, you got to form a limited partnership. And I go, I, I, I don't understand what he's talking about. I said, listen, how much money do I have to raise? He goes, well, I said, let's do like six units. At fifty thousand each. Okay, I said okay. So I went out and I begged, borrowed. I was out. I was literally called every friend I ever met, talked to their talk to dads, their uncles, their aunts, everybody, and I raised the money in a limited partnership. That was my first big
0: raise. All right. So you did six units at fifty k, and now you got you know three hundred thousand
1: dollars. And what do you do with it? I, I housed the guys, I fed the guys, I put the trader on retainer, uh, you know, a salary built a little bit of a gym, and then I went out to try to find a fight. So I remember I called up Bob Lee. The uh, 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 Well, first off, I just called all over the world to get <laughs> these guy's fights. I couldn't get a fight to save my life for these guys. I, I called every promoter there was in the, in the, in the world. So I finally got the guy, my one guy, Albert Steele Mills, he was a national champ, I got him a fight in Hartford, Connecticut. He, he was fighting on a card with this guy, Marlon Starling, who was a big, Big draw at the time. We drove up to Hartford. I brought my partner. He brought his two partners. The three of us going up there. Our first fight. It's a four round fight. My guy gets in there. He knocks the guy from ring post to ring post to ring post to ring post. We're going, yeah, I can't believe it. we're going to have our first victory. So There's 15,000 people in the stadium because Marlon Stone is a big draw. The decision comes in. My guy lost. I go, How the heck did that happen? So I started explaining to me the facts of life of boxing. Because you can't fight a guy in his hometown you got to knock him out. Well, Nobody told me that. <laughs> so that. So on the way home, I said, you know what? I'm going to start promoting my own fights in our hometown, if that's the way this game works. So I started promoting fights in Plainfield, New Jersey, which is right by where I grew up. And the first fight, I was pulled up the chairs. I did doing the posters. I was doing this. I was doing that. The matchmaking. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And two days before the fight, there was like no sales. And literally no sales. I was like freaking because all the money was gonna be gone. So I said, uh, what the heck am I gonna do? I didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, sales started picking up and picking up and picking up. The fight sold out, 3,000 people, packed arena, packed house. What happened was, I was in playing from Jersey, was a little bit of a uh, urban area, and the day before the fight, two days before the fight was when the welfare checks came out. Mm. And everybody got the money. Everybody started buying tickets. I didn't even know I was just lucky to draw. Luckily, the real draw, I sold the place out. A very successful show. the youngest person ever to promote a professional boxing match. And I hold that distinction to today. I started promoting more boxing matches. I met Emmanuel Stewart, who was the number one boxing trainer of all time. Then I got involved with Tommy Hearns with him and started doing stuff with Tommy. And I started managing other athletes. And then, and, uh, then I signed the 1988 U.S. Olympic team. I got Ray Mercer, the gold medal champion. I managed him to the heavyweight title. My first heavyweight champion knocked out Tommy Morrison, a brutal knockout. i <laughs> just a crazy brutal knockout. And that then I started. Uh, I, then I we took that company public through the number one company on Wall Street at the time called DH Blair National Nasdaq. Built that company up. That company sold for uh, a lot. Everybody made a lot of money. A lot of money. That
0: seems to be a recurring theme when you uh, are involved in a business. Everyone makes a lot of money.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. That's definitely <laughs> the idea. And then I, then a couple of years later, I took another sports management company public, and we did football, basketball, NASCAR. We did a lot of endorsements. We had a big marketing division, and we built that up. And then I sold that. And then about, so that was around like just about coming to June. And my count said to me, this back in like '99. Mm-hmm. My count said to me, hey, you know if you could move to a state with no state income tax, you could save this much money. And it was you know, a significant amount. I said, really? I, so he said, yeah, you go to Florida, Nevada, Texas. I said, okay, I'm going to South Beach. <laughs> so I, I came right down to South Beach. I bought a place at South Beach, and I've been here ever since. And I was to retire for a year. And what I did is I used to go around to um, new construction jobs and give deposits on units. This was Miami was just starting to get really booming with the with the high rises, and I bought about maybe a hundred condos, and I started making a lot of money just on because you were just buying the units and then renting them. out. So, no, no, I just bought the I bought the units pre construction, mm-hmm. gave a deposit, then the developers did all the work, and then when they were built, you just flip them. And I, Got it. And so you just resell them. I, I just resold them and did very well. Then I started getting into the condo conversion business. We converted about 20,000 condos uh, throughout uh, Florida and Vegas and Arizona from 2003 to 2008. We did very, very well. Uh, we were doing like 500 closings a month. It was crazy. And what do you do when you convert them? You buy a, uh, like you buy a rental building, mm-hmm. Garn apartment or a high-rise. We did right here at the View at Prickle. You know mm-hmm. The View at Prickle right over here. Mm-hmm. It's right around the corner. that We, we, we uh, put that high-rise. Uh, we converted like 355 units there. What we do is you buy a rental building. You basically put some little paint down, paint the walls a little bit. In the garden apartments, you, you paint the parking space a little uh, white stripes, put two banks in each room, and just put them for sale. And got we, it. So and, you basically and, buy the building, you
0: spruce them up,
1: and then you resell them. And, and you convert them into condos. You got to mm-hmm. go to condo docks. You take the rentals, convert them into condos. And now you're selling apartments as condos. And mm-hmm. it was a very hot market in 03 to 08. And we did, we, we did like 20,000 units. Wow. And the, and the money we made from that I took and I started buying land in downtown Miami.
0: And downtown Miami, for those that don't know, uh, when they think of downtown, they probably think of South Beach, but South Beach is not downtown. No,
1: no, South Beach is not downtown at all. South Beach is, by where the ocean is, there's a bridge that connects Miami Beach to Miami. Mm-hmm. Miami, when you hear about Miami now, you're exploding, you're primarily and predominantly speaking about downtown Miami. And yep. downtown Miami you used to not even have any um, cultures or any distinctions. Fast forward to today, you have... You know, the Park West area, which 11 is in, which is going to be the hottest, most booming area where all the big high-rises are being built, where the train station is, the Grand Central Station that takes you to West Palm and Fort Lauderdale now. there's stations being built in Aventura and Boca. Orlando will be opening up next year. Then there's going to go to Jacksonville uh, and Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the Grand Central Station by right in that neighborhood. You also have the American Alliance Arena, which is now the FTX Arena, <laughs> you know, the crypto uh, coming to dominate the marketplace. You have the Museum of Art and Science. You have the Performing Arts Center. You have the People Mover, You have the new on-off ramps, the $2 billion project to build, uh, extend the highway. So everything, all the infrastructure is going to that area. And then that's gonna be the, the main area, like the Times Square area with all the action is, in Miami at the end of the day. Then from there, you have the tentacles. You have the Wynwood. You have the Midtown. You have the design district. Then those are all to the north. Then to the south, you have uh, the CBD district, Central Business District, which is right before you get to Brickell. Then you have Brickell, which has always been booming because that was the first area really built up with the financial markets and condos because the area of Park West where 11 is, people used to come down and big tractor trailers used to come down to go to the cargo port. Mm -hmm. You have to come off the exit, go to 6th Street, and go on to the cargo port, which is like the third biggest cargo port in the country, And those trucks were the reason that area was never developed before. But there was a tunnel built about four years ago that alleviates all that traffic. And now it's opening up that area to be the area where all the new construction is. And that's why you see all this infrastructure there. And that's where a lot of the real estate you own is. That's where all the real estate that we own is. uh, At one time or another, I owned uh, um, maybe like 30, 40 acres. We sold some off. We we, we arbitrage some. We stayed in some. And today, my partner... Uh, primarily it's michael simpkins Romy we trot around, brent saunders uh, and iris Safferstein. you know michael and i own most of it and then I, we have a few other partners in other uh smaller pieces but we own about 12 acres okay and enough to build maybe like 20 high rises
0: all right and so as you do this uh at what point do you say i want to get into the club business because I think that this story is fascinating in terms of as you're buying up the land, I don't think cl- the club business was necessarily uh, something Not that you had in No, no, the club business
1: was never, never in my mindset. There was a club in the middle of the whole assemblage, because I did all the acquisitions for Miami World Center. Uh, I was a co-founder of that with Art Falcone. And then in uh, 2012, I started assembling the rest of the area, which is uh, contiguous to Miami World Center, but right off the highway with Michael Simpkins and, and his family. Um. And I was going down the street one day with uh, one of my friends, and he points to the club. There was a strip club there called Gold Rush. We renamed a club that we have up on Seventy Seventh in Biscayne Gold Rush, but this was Gold Rush. This was the original. Site, the original Gold Rush. It's ninety two. This was an outright down and dirty, dingy, gum on the floor. You, know, you wouldn't even walk in kind of place. You know, you'd have to shower for a week after you that. So, but it was open twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. And my friend says, What's with that? It's the only thing going on in the neighborhood. I said, ah, I'll never sell. It's, it's 24 hours. It's, it's guys is never selling. So that night, I went, You know, who says a guy will never sell? Let me go see if this guy will ever sell that place. Because I just wanted for the real estate. Yep. I didn't realize, I really didn't realize what was coming down the pike. So I did my thing. I always buy everything. I, I always bought in the neighborhood with, a, with what we called a beard. I don't go in myself because they see my name. They start hearing bells, whistles, and think they hit the lottery. So I always get a, a beard, another person, to go in and, and, and buy something. So I called up a buddy of mine and said, yeah, you're going to be my beard. Go in, call the uh, CFO of the company, see what the story is. Just happened to catch when the owner of the place was uh, he was in a hospital and he was ill and it wasn't, wasn't looking good for him for the future. <laughs> 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 Let's just put it that way. Um, uh, so I, we did what we do best. We penetrated them. We uh, you know, got them to the table, and I got them under contract. And I got him under contract for you know a steal of a price for me because I was looking at real estate. Other people in the club business. Um, it turns out this guy was like an icon. He had ninety strip clubs. This guy. Wow.
0: And every it the kingpin of strip clubs oh, yeah. in uh, South Florida.
1: Yeah, this guy. This was the kind of guy at so many clubs who would say, to "The manager, listen." Give me an envelope, this much a week. You keep the rest. <laughs> you know, wow, you know, this is going back to old school. He was yep. in like the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. You know, this guy was really old school. So I ended up getting under contract. The minute the word got out that I had under contract, every strip club operator in the country, you, know, you name them, you know, you know from from scores to hustler to you know, Sapphire, you, you name it, they came to see me and at, at that time my partner Michael Simpkins. We Said, you know what, let's just meet everybody and see what they have in mind. And why did they want to come see you guys? They wanted to help you operate it or they wanted no, to buy it? Well, or? first thing they wanted to know is how the heck did you get this on a contract? He promised me he would sell it to me. Mm. He was promising everybody in the business, oh, I'm, when I sell, you're the one that's getting it. Meanwhile, this guy, this guy obviously didn't want to sell it to anybody in the street club business. These are his competitors. He, he was never selling it to these guys. So they all came in and they all gave us huge presentations and why they should be the ones to be our partner in it. They all said, listen, we'll give you $5 million, we'll give you 100 grand a month in rent, and we'll be 50 50 partners. That was everybody's rep. So, my partner, Michael Simpkins, and I were looking at each other, going, man, this, these people came fast. They didn't just, <laughs> they, they, they just come like over a period of a month. They came within a, a week. We met everybody in the whole industry. They came fast and furious. It's like you were the prettiest girl at the prom. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, we yeah. said, you know what? Why don't we go try to put together a management team ourselves? See, we do this ourselves. Who needs these guys? We can find the right team. So we met and started interviewing other people who's going to manage. It Michael and I. We don't manage clubs. We don't run clubs. It's uh, you know, it's, it's a real art. You, it's so a different it, business. It's a different business. And we just wanted a club. We had nothing to do with it you know, we, we have nothing in mind. didn't even want any kind of club like that, even our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We wanted to do something classy and and what uh, and, and eventually what Eleven became. So we met Dennis DeGory, and Dennis DeGory really seemed like a really smart guy and he had a great reputation, and we made a deal with Dennis that he would operate the club and put the team together, and uh, then we started forming a concept. And you know, a lot of people came up with a the concept; they want to do this, they want to do that. Dennis had a real clear, real clear vision. Michael and I had as well. and agreed with on turning it into what Eleven is today—a very, very high-end nightclub with a very small component of you have beautiful girls. Because 11 mm. is anything but So We don't even use that word. If any of our staff ever use that word? They're you know, it's just, uh, you know, they get a lot of demerits. <laughs> you know, it's, what 11 is, is a unique nightlife experience. And, and what we did was we tore down the building that Gold Rush was in, and we built, you know, close to a $40 million facility. You know, we put in a tremendous amount of money. We put in the best of everything, the best sound system, the, the best booths, the best design. I mean, Dennis was working on this design and, uh With the architects uh, uh, for like maybe, I don't know, three, four months. And we built it in nine months. World record time, we built the club. I mean, literally, world record time. And it was very challenging at first because everybody thought we were nuts. How are you ever going to make that money back? What are you doing? Uh, Like, what are you doing? And at the beginning, these other guys, because you did have to have a a, a beautiful girl component, the girls... Every everybody that was, these girls working elsewhere, they were telling them clubs all throughout Florida, if you go work at 11, you're never going to work at this club again and you're never going to work at any club again. Mm-hmm. So we said, oh, man. You know, because these girls are unknown. They don't want, they were doing all fine. So we had to go hire girls from all over the world and fly them in. And we had to pay for their travel, pay for their meals, pay for them to work. It was, it was spending a lot of money each week. The first three, four months was kind of challenging. You know, so it would just start out like a big bang. Then we started getting traction, and we put on shows, the Cirque du Soleil shows, our service is amazing. And we started, uh, people started realizing it's a very unique experience, and lo and behold, it started getting busier and busier and busier and busier. And towards the end of the first year, we said, "Hey, we're onto something. And then all the girls started coming, because the word was out, all the heavy hitters were coming there, money was being made, with social media today, doesn't Mm -hmm. take long for the word to get out when these girls start making money. And now fast forward today, and we're the number one club in the world. We're the number one club in almost every category. You know, we're the number one club selling uh, for you know, tequila or vodka or 11 vodka is unbelievable.
0: Where did the brand come from? So you have the 11 hat on. It's very yes. unique in terms of, uh, for those that can't see it, uh, it's basically the word 11 spelled. But uh, rather than one L, there's basically two L's or, an, or the number 11, right? So it's E, 11, and then E, V, E,
1: N. Where did that brand come from? Well, 11 is on 11th Street, so we named it 11. Uh, and the hats were natural. Everybody's got hats. We, we put together the hats, and next thing you know, everybody and their mother wanted to wear a hat. We mm. sell seven figures of these hats a year. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, yeah, seven figures. And,
0: and is the uh, the double L or the the number eleven in the name? Where that was just like a yeah? Well, we, on the we, team we,
1: yeah, yeah we have a big marketing team, mm-hmm. and it uh, was a collaboration of uh, our marketing team: Dennis DeGori, Gino Lopinto, Daniel Solomon, and they they all got together. And you know, Michael and I loved it, and we just ran with it, and it became mm-hmm. iconic. I mean, you see these hats everywhere. Mm-hmm. When I go out of the country, I see them. I, on the West Coast, I see them. They're all over New York. Everyone in Miami. And like I said, we sell seven figures a year in hats, and which is pretty incredible because most people give hats away for name recognition. Yep. You sell these hats for $50 a hat. And then we have another hat that lights up, and we sell that for $100 a hat, and we can't keep them in stock. Mark Roberts, the hat salesman (laughs) of the year.
0: (laughs) We try. What's fascinating about the brand is obviously you've built this club, right? It is uh, incredible from a financial performance standpoint. It's literally the highest-grossing club in the world per square foot. Uh, And as you just described the story, it was a real estate Uh, kind of play, and and you were really focused on real estate, and then you guys kind of backed into uh, the club business. You guys now have two clubs, right, between 11 and Gold Rush?
1: Yeah, well, well, uh, Gold Rush is more of a protective measure because there's only two licenses uh, um, in in downtown Miami. So we're kind of protecting ourselves. uh, By We wanted to own both. uh, We like monopolies. And Gold Rush has really taken off because Mm -hmm. it's an alternative. It's nothing like 11 at all. But people love Gold Rush. They love going there. They have a great time there. It's a different vibe. So it's a complimentary, because you can't go to Eleven every night, even though some people do. So, I mean, both places are not going to doing fantastic. But Eleven is the catalyst that drives. Is everything. Eleven open twenty four seven? Twenty four seven. It never closes. That's unique, right? Well, that's very unique. Yes.
0: <laughs> very unique. <laughs> so how does that operate? If you're open twenty four seven, you just have staff that kind of comes through. Maybe all the
1: time. We have staff uh, three shifts a day. Yeah, and they just and rotate they, they rotate. Through. Yeah, they yeah, rotate, yeah. and we have uh, you know, a lot of days between. What's good about it is it's open, but it gives us a lot of time to clean up. The mm-hmm. you know, place looks spotless every day. We keep it spotless, so we you know we keep all the workers working. It keeps everybody happy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and so the eleven brand now. You guys are branching out, and you've got eleven residences. Uh, so maybe describe like the residence tower
1: and kind of what you guys are doing there. Well, the Eleven Hotel and Residences is, is our, our big goal, especially this year, is to uh, expand our IP. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were very cognizant of what happened with Playboy. Playboy went out in February at a four hundred million dollar market cap. Today, it sits at a two billion dollar market cap.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I can't even find a Playboy. I don't even I don't know anybody even reads a Playboy. But they took the name and they were unbelievably successful at taking the IP and creating different verticals with it. So uh, we looked at it and we said, you know what, we could build. A multi-billion-dollar business off of our IP. Uh, Eleven is the catalyst. The club. I mean, every, I mean, there's not anybody that comes to town doesn't go there. Everybody wants to go there. There's 500 to 1,000 people a night trying to get in and clawing their way in. So we said, how do you take advantage of that? So the first thing we thought of is, you know, of course the hats, and then we started our own vodka, which uh, you know, uh, Nikki Simpkins, who's my partner Michael's wife, is the CEO. We've done a really good job, and Nicky's done an amazing job, of getting it all over Florida. Mm-hmm. Our strategy with the vodka is let's dominate Florida first, put it everywhere we can, saturate Florida. Obviously, it's the only vodka we serve at the club, which alone is a huge business, and then we'll take it national. Mm-hmm. We came out you know less than a year ago, and we're in a, I don't know, almost 1,000 places now. Just doing amazing. Uh, Southern Wine and Spirits, who you it, is uh, you know, on board to It'll help us expand because they see how successful it is. So check that box.
0: And that's and 11 vodka.
1: 11 vodka. Yep. And we won the Double Gold Award at the San Francisco Tasting Contest about two, three months ago, which is the leading uh, uh, award that you could get in the field. Like every spirit strives to be a, a Double Gold Award. And we won it, which is incredible because uh, it tastes so great. Yep. And, and everybody loves it, the taste. And by the way, it's made here in Miami, it's local. And uh, we've gotten some great local support from everybody, and it's local. So you know, I support everything local, and everybody here has been phenomenal supporting it and branching out into other counties. So now we have the vodka. So then we said, okay, uh, how are we can make this more iconic? The IP. So last year we we went and we said, let's build an 11 hotel and residences, but it's got to be iconic. It's got to be the best of the best because 11 stands for the best. You know, if you go to 11, you're gonna get an amazing experience. You're gonna get the best of the best. You're gonna be happy, live your life, be happy with your life. Everybody around it's gonna be, uh, you know, people that uh, are ambitious and happy and positive attitude, and that's really what the brand stands for. It's so we wanted to create an environment like that in a building. So we partnered. You know, I'm I'm a very good land assembler, mm-hmm. and we're, we're 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 great real estate guys in a lot of respects, but we don't build high rise. It's a very difficult uh, task. So we said, who's the best high rise builder? And PMG, Property Management Group, has built of like over probably 100 high-rises. Very successful. So we teamed up with them and uh, their two lead partners are Kevin Maloney and Ryan Shear. And Ryan lives here in Miami and we got to get to know him real well. And We started uh, uh, figuring out a lot of synergies and you know, we trusted him and he's a great hard worker. Oh, you know, he's got the culture we were looking for. So we partnered up with them and we started designing the tower. And we came out with it, I don't know, I guess uh, sort of like when COVID was ending. And we sold it out in less than a month. And, and that's the residence
0: in terms of uh, people can yeah. come in and they can actually buy the uh, the, the resident Yeah, uh, people come units. in, they
1: buy a resident, and they have the option. You can either uh, rent it out when you're not there or just keep it as your resident. You don't have to rent it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it went over so big. Um, I sold probably half the units myself <laughs> to people I know, uh, I mean literally. Yep. And, and we not only sold it out. Fast, we sold it out without a sales office. We don't have a sales office built yet. And we sold out the club. wasn't even open. The club was closed. Was in the middle of COVID. It's crazy. So, so it's really crazy. It's, it's a world record. We set, like, PMG never sold anything out that fast. Nobody's ever seen anything sell out that fast. And the clientele we sold it to are mega names. Right? We, we, we're getting ready to announce some of them. They're kind of mind-boggling names. Just a, a lot of uh, you know the kind of people that everybody wants to associate themselves with, be around. And it's what we're going to create. Is at a, a Las Vegas type of hotel with those kinds of amenities, without the casino, in a five star uh, environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're going to have uh, the best of the best restaurants, the best of the best sports bar, the best of the best gym, the best of the best med spa, the best of the best. You know, Deepak Chopra has been announced. The you know, wellness center. You know, Deepak lending his name to us is you know, a good milestone for us because you know it's another vertical that you know wants to collaborate with us. You know, we have uh, music studios. I mean, we're, we're, it's going to be the place where everybody's going to want to be, and our pool party is going to be second to none. Nobody's ever going to see a pool party <laughs> like this ever that they're going to see at a level hotel residences.
0: What, what is the like average price of a unit there, right? So just so people get a sense for it. Well,
1: the average square foot price is eleven hundred and fifty dollars a square foot. And I'd say the average price is, it hovers around you know, a million bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, we sold one unit for twenty two million dollars, which broke all the records in downtown Miami.
0: That's gonna be my next uh, comment, was the unit that sold for 22 million, somebody paid in Bitcoin or crypto? Yes, they're
1: crypto crypto, uh, uh, guys. There are a lot of crypto people have bought in the crypto community, which even made me more enthusiastic about the crypto. Because you started taking it at the club
0: and then you announced that you were going to accept it for purchase of the residence. And and I think again, people were like, ah, they did the club thing, like maybe that's just kind of a stunt. Oh, now they're doing it at the resident. No one's going to buy one. And then literally you broke the record for a condo sale in downtown Miami for $22 million. Uh, and somebody bought it with, uh, I don't know if it was Bitcoin or something else. Well, well, well
1: here's, here's the way it's going to work. The first 10% deposit, we had not announced yet that we were taking uh, crypto. Crypto wasn't even like really on our radar screen. We took the first mm-hmm. 10. It was a little bit on it. But then when all the momentum started building and the conference came and I started becoming so gung-ho on it and become such a believer... The second deposits that we take, uh, we're accepting uh, crypto. We've got indications from the guys that are in the crypto business that are buying. Of course, they're going to pay in crypto. Mm-hmm. So we're expecting maybe a ten to fifteen percent of uh, the second deposits in Bitcoin, because we take Bitcoin. People we convert it. There's other coins, and somehow my guys converting the Bitcoin, but I like Bitcoin. So basically, everything
0: you take, everything, but you put it in Bitcoin, and the yes. goal is to not sell it into cash. You hold it
1: as Bitcoin. Uh, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but, but this, this is why we are friends. <laughs> I'm a very big believer in Bitcoin. All right. And so as
0: you're doing this, what's next for the 11 brand, right? So you've got the club, you've got the vodka, you've got the residence, uh, and hotel, are you going to look for more opportunities to leverage the brand and kind of do iconic things and, and build out the IP? Uh, yes,
1: there's some things in the crypto field, very excited things that I really don't want to announce because everybody seems right. to copy us these days. So, I do it. I know you're going to be trying to copy us. I'll, t- I'll tell you offline, of course. Uh, you're my crypto uh, guru, of course. Um, so, we have some exciting things we're doing with that universe mm-hmm. that we're really excited about. Uh, we're also um, building a right now a real infrastructure. We're, we're, uh, uh, we've interviewed a lot of top quality people to be our CEO of our intellectual property division. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've interviewed a lot of people to be second in command mm-hmm. and so forth. So, we're very determined to build a, a, a really big crypto infrastructure uh, between our IP and uh, we could handle the crypto, we could handle, for instance, like we want to do a cannabis, perhaps. We want to do um, you know, a lingerie. We want to do sunglass line. We, mm-hmm. want to, we want to do anything that anybody will license. We really want to be in the licensing business because mm-hmm. that's where the money is. You license our name, we'll oversee it, and we'll help market it and push it. But let's say we want to hook up with the top sunglass manufacturer, we want to hook up with the top lingerie manufacturer, wanna hook up with the uh, you know, maybe uh, you know, the top cannabis uh, mm-hmm. uh, brand out there. Um, and we have certain brands we're talking to right now. And at the end of the day, we wanna really I wanna say emulate like maybe what a, a, a Playboy did, but, but we wanna uh, create a licensing platform that you can monetize because those are the best because when you're sleeping, they're making you money.
0: Yeah. Well, and also part of it is once you build the brand, the commoditization of the goods uh, to some degree works in your favor because you can take your brand, match it with the commoditized good, and now all of a sudden you can uh, create something that people want uh, and really differentiate yourself from the competitors in that market.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody has the brand recognition we have right now. Um, you know, we've done studies and all that. We, our brand is super, super strong. Uh, it's well-recognized. The uh, demographics – that it's recognized with or this exact demographic that advertisers go after. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Listen, how many demographics you have where you could go from, I mean, teenage kids aspire uh, to go to 11 for their 21st birthday. I mean, that's like what they, they that's, like, people, when I was young, I just look forward to when I could drive when I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> like literally all, all, anywhere I go with young kids, they're in their teens, 50, they go, y'all, oh, my son, and all he wants to do is go there, and so that's all he talks about. So we have that, capture that audience. Then, of course, you have the 21 to 25 to 30-year-olds. We capture that audience. Mm -hmm. 30 to 40, we capture that audience. We go right up to 70. We have 80-year-olds come in and and have a great time. We have more women than men on a lot of nights. Really? More women than men, a fact. We do more bachelorette parties than bachelor parties. That's a fact. Wow. That's why the brand is so unique and so strong.
0: You know, because most people would associate men going there, bachelor parties, that type of stuff, but actually it's more female and more it's, bachelorette well, parties. I'd say it's,
1: if you really had to go throughout the year, it's maybe 55, 45, which is astounding. Yep. But that's just another example. It has nothing to do with a strip club. It has mm-hmm. Nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with a unique nightlife experience. You, know, you see the Cirque du Soleil shows, they cost us you know, millions and millions of dollars a year to put on. Mm-hmm. And we spend real money going, putting back into- Yeah, and we, we bring in top DJs, and we bring in top acts. You know, like we gave – Drake did his first major performance uh, there a you few know, years ago. We had Usher. This is early on. Now we uh-huh. have everybody there. Everybody comes to a place. And in reality, on those nights, we make less money because we have to pay them. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, But we do it because we want to give the customers, our clients, the best experience. And they go home and talk about it and so on and so forth. You know, We, we, we literally – We're building a brand, we just didn't know how powerful until we started looking at each other and go, okay, we really got something here, lightning in a bottle. And in the next, uh, this year, you're gonna see us lay an infrastructure and I think you're gonna see uh, 11 getting licensed in a lot of uh, areas with a lot of credibility to it.
0: You're an IP uh, company that's licensing a a great brand. And what I think I appreciate the most about you is you wanna be first and you wanna be iconic. And being first in everything from accepting Bitcoin to, you know, other things that you guys do. Uh, and then the iconic experience of the nightclub, the iconic hotel and residence, right? Like, you, you keep using the same language over and over again, but that's what makes you guys stand out. That's what gives the brand kind of the legs that it stands on.
1: Well, you know, if, if you go back, you know, my career, I only had one goal when I left college. I never wanted to have a boss. My only goal. That's if I could go through my life without a boss, I did pretty good. So I was the first one... Uh, to a professional boxing match at 19. I was the first one to take a sports management company public before I was 30. And then when I got down here, you know, everybody said, nobody's ever bought all this so many pre-construction. So yeah, I put that a little bit in the first bracket. Then we started doing condo conversions. We, 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 we were among the first mm-hmm. They really got into that. And and then when we and then of course, you know, I was the first one to start Assembling land, prime land in downtown Miami. It's going to be the best land in downtown Miami at the end of the day by co founding Miami World Center and by uh, having the acreage we have left with my partners. And then, of course, the club, you know, I think was a manifestation of all that Mm -hmm. and putting everything first mover into that. And, you know, my my, uh, main partner, Michael Simpkins and Dennis Degory, you all are very aligned in what we do. You know, it's kind of like you always have to have, I've had bad partners. And on this one, I got very lucky. I have great partners, and we're all aligned in what we're doing and building. And we first mover in everything we do because we do quick. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when everybody's aligned, things could work very quickly. You know, these big corporations, uh, it takes between the red tape. That's why you know it could take them forever. That's why entrepreneurs will always win the day. So we like to fancy ourselves as uh, you know entrepreneurs, fast movers. You know, and you know we're well financed and we can move quickly and that's, I think, going to win the day.
0: I tend to think you're doing a great job. <laughs> uh,
1: thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh,
0: I ask everyone three questions before we end, and then you get asked me one question to finish up. The first question is, what's the most important book you think you've ever read?
1: Robert's Rules. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. All right, what's Robert's Rules? <laughs> that's a, it's a book I wrote back in 1998. Uh, There's a story behind that one, too. you know, I, my buddy Roger King, who uh, King World Productions, he owned the Oprah Winfrey Show. Mm-hmm. and I used to hang out with Roger a lot and I came out my book and my book is more of like rules like my philosophies my business philosophies uh teachings and I had a huge publicity campaign going like a half a million dollar publicity campaign in place by my publisher I had the Oprah Winfrey show back then if you wanted the Oprah Winfrey mm-hmm. show game you were guaranteed to be a uh, number one seller Roger King owned the Oprah Winfrey show he had me set up there I was going to be the I wasn't going to be the book of a day. I was going to be the book of a month. I made mean, the whole thing lined up for me. I was in the uh, front of uh, Barnes & Noble, front of Borders. This whole thing was teed up like you wouldn't believe. Um, as you very well know, well, the audience may not know this, but when you take a company public and have a public company, before you do a financing, okay, there's something called a quiet period. You're not allowed to talk about the, your company at all. You're not allowed to promote it. And just as luck would have it, because I did all these deals a year and a half before my book came out, mm-hmm. You have to set all this up. You don't just want to snap your fingers. As luck would have it, I was doing a secondary offering simultaneously with my book launch. So, you know, I go on, uh, my book came out, I go on Giants against the Green Bay Packers on a Sunday afternoon at 12 o'clock. I got interviewed right before the game by Donna over Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's wife at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She started asking me about my book. So, of course, I got to talk about the company. I start. Talking about the company, uh, worldwide entertainment. I started talking about this and that. I was innocent enough. Two minutes go by. It was a two minute quick thing. The next day, it was Monday, my SEC lawyers got a call from the SEC. Listen, we see Roberts on TV, on radio. If we even see him anywhere near the airwaves, we're holding your secondary offering for six months minimum. Meanwhile, I had a $25 million secondary offering coming. Like the money was like ready to go. Okay, they called me up and said, You can't go. On air, I was supposed to go on Oprah Winfrey that week. Okay, so I was like, oh man, it's like one of the worst calls I ever had. So i was like, oh, 25 million, Oprah Winfrey. And this is going back, you know, yeah, this going back a while back now. This was going back like 22 years. Obviously, the 25 million won out. So I called my publisher. I said, listen, I got very bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy put a half, like, this guy was like ready to go. You know, this guy does 300 books a year. I was the number yep. one book, obviously, in a year. This guy threw his, we were hitting gold. I said, don't understand. I can't believe this happened. I can't go on Oprah. I, I never got cursed out like this in my life. This guy cursed me for three minutes straight. I deserved it. I just took it. And he goes, you call Oprah. I'm, I'm done. And he hung the phone. I never talked to the guy since, by the way. I, really? I never talked to the guy since. This guy was so mad at me. I'd call up the executive producer of, of Oprah Winfrey's show. I start talking to her, and she starts going, ha, you're funny, Mr. Roberts. You're funny. You're funny. She thought I was kidding around. So I turned around, I can't go on the show. She had no idea what to talk about quiet periods. Yeah, said. yeah, yeah. So lo and behold, I finally got this I can't go on. She told me I'm like the stupidest human thing she ever met. Hung the phone up, and I never went over Borders no, <laughs> <laughs> pulled it off. Bar- they weren't putting it on because I was going on Oprah. They were yep. getting ready for the avalanche. So uh that was very bad for the book. But lo and behold, the book did well. Didn't do great like it should have, if it would have done. But I think a lot of I got a lot of letters. Back then there was no emails. So I got a lot of letters and Loads of letters, thousands of letters, how it changed people's lives. and Everyone that reads it, I think, learned something from it. And it was a great experience. And he's go got a time.
0: picture of you on the front.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, younger today, I did that back then. It's funny how that works.
0: I love mm. it. All right, second question is sleep schedule. You and I will text at all hours of the day. It could be 6 a.m., noon, 8 p.m., 2 a.m. You're always on. What is your sleep schedule? Well, here's
1: the, that's, that's what happened. I was about 16, 17 years old. You know, this, this was the day that changed my life. I, okay. I had a big thing going on at night. It was like a Saturday night. I had a big thing going on at night, but I fell asleep. I played, of, I played a lot of basketball. I was a kid, like eight hours a day. I had a big basketball day. I went home. For some reason, I just fell asleep. So I woke up. I thought it was the morning. I thought I missed everything. I was panicked. I, I missed this part. I go, wow. Then I look at the clock. I only slept three hours. Okay, you do know, you ever do that? You yeah, go yeah, to bed yeah. and you like feel nap. like it's yeah. the morning, you know, you don't know where you're at. So I, I got in the shower, took a shower, and I was just fresh as a daisy. So I started saying to myself, you know, why don't I try doing this all the time? Like, I'll be saving a lot of, you know, I'm going to live a lot, many years. So I started teaching teach myself how to get up. So I started doing it three hours, three hours, three hours. So to this day, I only sleep like three hours a night. So I believe my, my motto is you'll sleep when you die. You do realize that that is insane. Well, people say that, but, you know, it's—I uh, mean, I, I very rarely have gotten sick. I very uh, rarely have slowed me down. And I like to think it's been a big advantage for me because when other people are sleeping, I've been working. And— it- Literally, I know
0: you are because I think uh, this morning you texted me at like three a.m. <laughs> right, so like you literally you live this. I know you do. Uh, third question is aliens: Are you a believer or a non-believer?
1: Uh, I find it hard to believe there's aliens. You think but, no? But but no, I think I find it hard. But you know what? I found it hard to believe a lot of things in life. I find a lot of things hard to believe these days. I never thought I'd see COVID. I never think I think mm-hmm. I'd ever see what we've been through. I have. I, I've. Never thought I'd see uh, the, the uh, uh, society where you want to defund police. You know, I, I, there's so much I believe in my lifetime I never see. But the older you get, the you, you the more you see. The more you see. So you know, <laughs> could come down. Like I used to say during COVID, and I used to see some of the policies people have with taxes and what they want to do to the economy and some of these policymakers. I used to say, you know, I would be. Uh, if aliens came onto the beach of Miami beach and started walking up the beach, it wouldn't shock me anymore. <laughs> I really used to, I really was saying on the middle of COVID when, when, when the world was getting really crazy. They got UFOs so, now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. am I a believer? I find hard to believe, but nothing shocks me anymore.
0: I think that is a great way to uh, look at life is to be uh, skeptical yet, Understand that the world is a wild place and yes. anything can happen.
1: Yes. <laughs> All
0: right, you could ask me one question to finish up. What do you got for me?
1: Yeah. Where is Bitcoin gonna be a year to eighteen months from now?
0: Oh, I have no clue. Um higher than it is today. <laughs> that's the best answer i have for you over really really long periods of time for sure there's lots of short-term price volatility right so you get uh it goes up it goes down it goes sideways it goes up it goes down it goes i mean just over and over and over and over again but i think when you look the longer the timeline the easier it is to say it's going to go up because of the structure of it that the kind of market structure uh but i think that we've got a quite bit of room to run for this year and then uh we'll see what happens kind of going into next year and, and Uh, And does it kind of go back into a bear market for a little bit or uh, does it kind of level off? Nobody really knows.
1: I have one more question for you. All right. Where will you be at age 40?
0: At age 40? Hopefully doing this with you again.
1: Beautiful.
0: (laughs) I love it. Great answer. All right. Where should we send people on the internet? Should we send them to
1: something about 11, something about you? Where do you want to send them? Well, you know, my website's markroberts.com. All right. There's a great video on there I think people enjoy.
0: All right m a r c roberts dot com.
1: Yes, I think they enjoy that very much. There's a lot of stuff about Eleven and where we're going. It's getting updated all the time. But I think everybody uh, that uh, could afford it would be very wise to uh, buy in the Eleven Hotel and Residences. Uh, we're sold out of this one, but you know we're we're going to be uh, hopefully uh, in the future having a lot of opportunity for people to jump on the Eleven bandwagon and embrace the IP, live it, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the club very soon.
0: I'm a believer. Keep going. All right, we'll do this again in the future.
1: Uh, Thanks. Look forward to it.